Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, week week 13 is in the books, I think. I'm still not quite positive if the Tuesday game was uh, was week 13. Yeah, that was week 13. Everything's lost in a little bit of a COVID shuffle. I'm joined by Drew Hodgson once again. Drew, how are you? Did you enjoy your, your weekend's? football festivities that extended down into Tuesday? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, it is an adjustment getting used to both the cancellations every week, both at the, it feels like the NFL level occasionally, but yeah. more so the yeah. level, and then shifting right into now we have Monday football, Tuesday football, occasionally Wednesday football. So I know I'm so disoriented. Everything's so I'm so messed up all the time right now. Uh, but I'm happy. I'm happy in a way, and I've tried to be less like this in life. I, I I try not to practice Schadenfreude, which is when you take delight in other people's failures. But my God, Greg Williams with two G's, man, I don't like that guy. I and it goes back to when I learned that when we played the Tennessee Titans in the 1999. AFC championship game that Greg Williams, who was the defensive coordinator of the Titans at the time, had one of our playbooks. When I discovered, when I learned that, that was the, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. I already didn't, I already quite didn't like him because he had so many people convinced that like all defensive players in the NFLs were, you know, stacking hundred dollar bills on top of every injury you can inflict on any offensive player. But Greg Williams getting fired this week. I find a little bit of pleasure in it, except that I know that Greg Williams will be defiant and will be convinced that if only he'd been in charge of the New York Jets, they would have been undefeated this season. Yeah, but I mean, I think now so more than ever, especially during this this troubled time and close to the holidays, it's important that we stop and enjoy the horrible things that happen to bad people. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, uh... and, He's, he's not, a, not a great guy. So Yeah, I, I don't know. It was I was talking to Ross Tucker yesterday who had played for was was there the bills with greg williams i think yeah greg williams was the head coach back in 2001 and ross tucker was there and ross ross seems to just he he gets a kick out of greg williams but i feel like ross didn't play for greg williams so like like he didn't play on the defense with greg williams right i know i know some guys that played for greg williams that despise him i know some guys that actually thought it was cool but i think he's one of those guys that's like old school in a way that not like an old school football player, but old school in the way that teachers and coaches didn't get arrested for the stuff they did to kids, not physically, (laughs) but emotionally. Like it's a great parallel. Greg Williams is equal to the Catholic church. I think that's what we're. Yeah. 
I not, but not physical abuse, obviously. But the, right. the part about Greg Williams that I never liked, and this goes back to the Bounty Gate stuff when, and and just other things I'd heard about Greg Williams is he's the classic guy that, uh, that Marv Levy was describing when he said there are a lot of football coaches who like to like to pretend they're tough using other men's bodies. And, and that's Greg Williams. Like he's all talk with that doughy pear body of his and his stupid amber glasses. And like, he talks like he's a big man and like any single one of the guys that he's talking big about could squash him like a bug easily. And uh, that's, what's always bothered me about him. The, the, he, he gives off that energy. They're the coaches that are, that are truly uh, characters and pretty bitter, rough around the edge kind of yeah. types. And then they're the ones that you feel like they've turned it into part of a of a character. Yeah, like they're character actors in a football movie. Yeah, and they're just portraying that at all times. And he strikes me as the latter. Yeah, they're auditioning for something. Like they're constantly right. on a, yeah. like that. Honestly, Greg Williams' finest day and his proudest moment was probably when the audio from from Bounty Gate came out and he was talking about attack. I want you to attack the outside ACL. I want you to tear off the head. The snake will die. Whatever the hell he was saying. That was his yeah. finest moment right there. Yeah, he, he practiced that in the mirror in the morning before he went to the stadium. Oh, yeah. I, I have no doubt that happened. So now having said all that, I don't, I look, I think you could fire any of the Jets coaches at any, at any point and you'd be fine. Except for my friend, Brant Boyer, who's the special teams coordinator. And the, special, <laughs> the special teams, the special teams for the Jets job. were actually, no, they were actually really good last year. Like it was the one bright spot of the Jets last year. Um, there was a two years ago. He was like one of the best units. He, he was, I think it was two years ago because Adam Gase retained him. So anyway, other than Brant, fire everybody. I don't give a damn. I will, I'll partially defend Greg Williams for the play for which he was fired, which is called a, he called a cover zero blitz, just an all out blitz where there's no safety help over the top on what ultimately ended up being the last play of the game versus the Raiders. Because I think, I think that it's not the strategy I would advise, but Greg Williams in his super aggressive manner has done this before. And he's kind of gotten away with it. And it was third and it was third and long there were 13 seconds left. So there was time for another play. This wasn't like it was definitely 100% had to be in a, a Hail Mary on that, right? So that's where, okay, the cover zero blitz was probably way too aggressive. Most likely you could have called something that funneled everything inside and it would have been hard for them to, to throw something midfield and still get another playoff. But in Greg, in Greg Williams' crazy mind, it was, all right, I'm going to end it now. I'm not going to give them a chance to even get the Hail Mary off. I'm just going to uh, assault this, this Derek Carr and get it done. I don't know. Am I, am I a little too crazy and aggressive there? No. I, I wouldn't do it personally, all. but I get it. He, I, I mean, I, there's, a def, there's, there's a case to be made to defend it. That, that's not, it's not completely unreasonable. There's a reason why people do it in those situations. But I think – what happens in the debate about whether it makes sense or not, whether you go for it on fourth down and other situations or somewhere on offense is that, you know, it's not a zero sum game. It's not, he has to run the zero, zero blitz and put pressure on the quarterback or there will be no pressure. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's not the, that's not the alternative. You can still get pressure and not make it essentially a jump ball. Well, that's, yeah. where, um, the, that's the, I, I, I kind of reject the premise, I guess, on whether it's, 
it had to be one or the other. There's different ways to do it. There's different ways to do it where you don't have to go all out. And he, I mean, he rushed seven. Right. And Derek Carr, to his credit, checked protection and max protected. So there were seven on seven. There's one, the one safety could have been an add on rusher. And then that would have potentially screwed things up. But he was all nervous because of the, uh, the tight end there. Is it Waller? The tight end had been burning them all day. And he was, so he could have added on because Waller was blocking, but he was nervous about Waller, which is, well, sa- it, it, so, but that safety shouldn't be worried about that in that moment, he right? Was, like, he oh, was no. nervous. Yeah. He was nervous because they had been smoking them all day, right? And so yeah. that's why yeah. he was nervous. Which, which is, is why, why you don't call the cover zero blitz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't call the cover zero blitz. Oh, yeah. Know? I forgot about that part of it, too. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. Yeah. This wasn't like the 2000. Ravens defense <laughs> right <laughs> tiling up a cover zero play. They, they've been getting behind them most of the game yeah yes. you know? <laughs> I mean they had shown that that was a pretty rough matchup so okay 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 it was know. a dumb it was a really really <laughs> dumb call I uh, like I felt for the sake of fairness I had to like tepidly defend it a little bit yeah, um, devil's advocate for on the sake of aggressiveness we were well Vic Fangio was our defensive coordinator in 2005 and we were a bad team that year we were in two and 14 so kind of like the Jets we played the Ravens in early December and we ended up we had a lead less than a touchdown on what would be the final drive and I can't remember how much time was left on the clock but Vic called the cover zero blitz and it didn't get home and they had scored on us. And and I all I remember from that game, other than that, was me like talking a young Dante Robinson down in the locker room because I saw that look in his eyes. Like like he like the media was about to come in and Dante did not was Dante was a, a cornerback for those of you who don't know who remember Dante. Dante would uh, eventually go on in his contract year to write pay me Rick on his shoes before a game uh, message to Rick Smith, the general manager. So Dante was awesome. I love Dante, but, but like Dante had a temper, like Dante, Dante was not going to hold his tongue up, like after a certain point. So I just remember telling him, like right before the media came in, like Dante, you don't look, man. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> just, just remember, man, it's not gonna, it's not gonna serve you well. Don't like talk I when totally, you're angry. yeah, yeah. I was like, I totally get it, man. Just, just for your own good, you don't want to have to deal with all this stuff. And he didn't like do his credit because he was. I don't know if he was a rookie at that point or a second year player. Um, no, he was he was in his second or third year because that was my yeah. rookie year, and I remember that. Two thousand five was. Oh, that was your yeah. What a miserable introduction to the NFL you had. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, no, it was a rough go. I, I put a lot of it at your feet. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's <laughs> it's tough when you're a veteran on a bad team. Cause I like at least I did. I felt really responsible for a lot of things. I had a first year defensive line coach, Mike London, who would go on to be the head coach at Virginia the next I think the next year or soon soon thereafter. Um, but that was his one and only year in the NFL. And I remember telling him a few times towards the end of the season, like, Hey man, you know, it's not, uh, it's really not usually like this. It's, it's actually can be a lot of fun. And I would just see, he looks so morose. He looks so oh, depressed yeah. all the time. I was like, Hey man, it's Mike, just hang in there, man. It's, uh, it's going to be all right. You just, and then, then, no, uh, he went back to college. Yeah. It's not all right. It's not going to be all right. I'd argue it's, it's, it's even worse your first year as a rookie going into it and, and losing 14 games. You know, and then I've never been through anything like that before. Was Glenn Earl your year or the year before? He was the year before, but he okay. was definitely there when I was there. So yeah. Glenn Earl, you know, Glenn Earl had played in Notre Dame. And it, so it wasn't like he was on awesome teams or anything. Um, but 
I, I remember Glenn Earl the year we were two and fourteen was like he was walking. There was a bowl game being played, so they were practicing. You know, sometime in uh, in in December at our facility, and we kind of were went past the college kids as they were on their way out to the practice field. And Glenn was convinced that these kids were laughing at us, like, 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 was convinced that they were like mocking us because they were like, "Did you see that? Did, did you see that?" It's like these guys are just like, like, they think we're a joke. I'm Glenn, what the fuck are you talking? About? The whole world is like, against us. Like Glenn, like, listen, Glenn, they're still the college kids, man. Every single one of them would, is is still hoping they'll be on any NFL team next year. Glenn, trust me, they're not laughing at you. I'm like, but he he was a young player and he felt that the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, felt that felt that everybody was laughing at us all at once, which they kind of were. Because I mean, the 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 moment where it was where it all crystallized was when we were playing, and I think you were. I don't think you had you had gotten injured that year. I think, but we we were playing at home, and they turned our game off of the jumbotron. If you remember this, and they put on the Astros playoff game. Oh really? No, no, no. no. I got injured the next year in two thousand. Uh... Six. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Because it was, so 2005 was when the Astros were in the world series. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So they, t- <laughs> wait a yeah. second during our game, during the game, because what happened is that we were given up and I don't know if you would remember this because you weren't part of the uh, all time sack uh, record holding offensive line. Like I was, Yeah. Um, but we were in the middle of just getting throttled. I think it might've been the dolphins. And we had just given up a sack and the whole crowd went wild. And it was because I looked up and the Astros had hit a home run. <laughs> and they were just cheering the most inopportune moments during our own game. That's awesome. <laughs> but that wouldn't I have like, even, I've made it. I've arrived. That, that wouldn't have even been when we were that deep into it, right? That would have been October or so. Yeah. When yeah, it, it was, it was in, the, in the playoffs or the World Series. Oh, man. Yeah. But we that, were bad. That yeah. was when we'd already yeah, – because we lost our first six games. Oh, right. this is depressing. I didn't intend to go down this this trip down memory lane. <laughs> Greg Williams, um, if he does, if the Jets go winless, he'll be the only coordinator ever to have been defensive coordinator, or I think coordinator of any type, on two winless NFL teams. Because there actually haven't been that many winless NFL teams, you know, 0-16 teams. But he keeps getting jobs. I know. And he's had a few good years um like if you just go by dvoa he's had a few good years but it's not like he's consistently in the top 10 you look at some defensive coordinators and you know um wade phillips rex ryan as a as a defensive coordinator they they pretty consistently pump out good defenses where greg williams you're right is not and like i've just i've never i've never understood why you bring a guy like that into your organization unless he's like 100% one of these guys who's a steady performer, like who's always churning out awesome defenses. Cause he's, I, a, I he's, just, that. he's a freaking liar. He's just, he leaked when he was in saints. He used to leak information to the press. Like in Sean Payton had to run a sting operation to, to rat him out or to get him to root him out. When last year, after he got fired by the Browns, he was claiming that he'd had multiple letters offering him head coaching jobs letters like he's just a he's a joke it drives me insane who are these idiotic owners and head coaches that keep hiring him? Jeff Fisher I give a little bit of a pass because at least he had some success with him like and it, it it made sense I guess but Mike I, I, I'm getting way more agitated about this than I thought I would 
Well, I think what you realize too, especially at the NFL level, and, and it seems like maybe it's tapered off a bit, but there's the nepotism yeah. and just the, the fraternity of coaches that have known each other for decades. So that's probably part of it. But then the other, it just seems like they still get seduced by, by the character acting. They still yeah, get yeah. seduced by that, that element of, you know, God, this guy really inhabits the role. He gets his guys playing aggressive and they love it. And they get, they get sucked in by it. You know, you think, okay, owners get bought in, you know, like when a head coach goes to interview for a job, you think, okay, owners probably buy that. Like they love the pep talk. A lot of times I feel like the best thing you can do as a, as a coach going in for a head coaching interview is to give the owner a pep talk. I think Mike Vrabel did that in Tennessee. It seemed like he just went in there and gave them all the old, like, this is how we're going to win one for the Gipper and it's going to be awesome. I know, but it, but they fall for it. I think head coaches fall for it sometimes too. Gary Moeller one year was okay. He had left uh, university of Michigan. He was head coach at university of Michigan. He he was a little tipsy when he got pulled over one spring evening and it was unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, uh, you know, so people weren't happy about that with their college coach, but he went on to coach linebackers in the NFL for a little bit. And then, and then he got, the defensive coordinator job after Dom Capers left uh, in, in, in Jacksonville. And I think part of it is that he just gave Tom Coughlin a hell of a pep talk. Cause Gary Moeller could give really good pep talks. He'd come in and you're talking about, it's the team. It's the team. It's the team. This right here. And then he'd show stuff up on, on video and then show like some, tough gritty play of like this is a guy that just wants it better than anybody else and you can do it all really cool motivational stuff and you kind of bought into a little bit until we got like within two or three weeks into the season we realized this guy doesn't have a clue about nfl football like (laughs) like not a single clue on earth you know we'd be watching film and he'd like be getting the offensive personnel packages wrong and everything. He just didn't know. He just, he was a college coach. He spent a little bit of time in the NFL, but he talked so convincingly about how stopping the run was the most important thing on earth. And if you could just, if you could want it more than the other guy, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to get in there and we're going to bash heads and everything. And I could totally see him just sitting in a meeting with Coughlin and selling Coughlin on that. Because I think under I because you know Dom when Dom was with us in '99 we're an awesome defense a top five defense then we fell off in 2000 and I think I could totally see Coughlin maybe thinking Dom was a little too too much about the X's and O's so he needed to go the opposite way and just go old school blood and guts coach right yeah the other big um, the other big thing that was very inspirational almost was Des Bryant almost playing against his old team the Cowboys <laughs> before, was, before was almost inspirational. He was, and he went out and he he dapped up some of his former teammates <laughs> and he was all excited and then they came this is kind of messed up man and this isn't schadenfreude at all like I got no issue with Des Bryant I think he's a little out there sometimes but but then they just come and yank him right before the game uh, and tell him that he had tested positive for COVID. Uh, would, where are you on this? I, I saw a lot of people irate and or upset that somebody had tested positive and yet the game still was played and nobody wants to believe or a lot of people don't want to believe that the NFL actually followed all of their protocols. And this was just this is the NFL kind of saying like, no, no, nothing to see here. We're going to play the game because, damn it, we got to get this game played. 
Where where are you on the conspiracy theory scale right there? Yeah, I, th- I feel like that's a quick snapshot into just how open a conspiracy theories I am in general, because I, I have no idea what the information is, right? I mean, we see what they release. Yeah. So, you know, what you read about it sounds like it, it's been handled actually pretty well, at least relative to how it started out, right? Like in the beginning of the season, it looked like it was just going to be like a hurricane of COVID cases every weekend. And it yeah. was yeah. right there and games were getting canceled. But the percentages seem seems seems to have uh, declined a bit, so you know it seems like it's been handled okay. I it does seem a little strange that he tested positive immediately before the game. Clearly, he was out there, even if he was social distancing and they're using the bracelets to track it. He was near his teammates. I mean, you but know, that's they, where yeah, but that's where I because I I kind of err on the side of or I lean to the side of thinking that because they're especially with Baltimore because Baltimore had such a nasty stretch that they've had to be super compliant with everything that what the NFL has realized and this is kind of cool and it should be encouraging I say this as somebody who's currently being contact traced because I was very very close to somebody (laughs) that had COVID um but aside from I don't play for the Ravens I think that (laughs) as long as you only have incidental contact with somebody and it's not like an extended amount of time, then it seems like your chances are pretty minimal. Um, whereas the longer you spend around anybody, and especially this is where like hospital workers who get huge, heavy doses of the virus don't just get sick more often, but they get sicker because there's this right. concept of viral load. The concept of viral load seems to, to matter a lot. So if you get, if you get sparse concentrations, then right. you've got a good shot of not contracting it. So I don't, every time, Somebody talks about how ridiculous or crazy it is that the NFL is cracking down on some guy for not having a mask because he hugged somebody or something. But I get it because all they're trying to do is limit these incidental moments from becoming extended periods. And you just it's a it's a cumulative, just of course, hyper vigilant approach. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all just a formula. I mean, you're all just trying to mitigate as much of the risk as possible over time. And you're just assuming that over the course of several weeks, you're going to have fewer and fewer cases over the course of the entire season. You know what I, uh, being smart and proactive. So this person that I'm close to, that's tested positive for COVID. I'm not, I'm not sure how public I'm going to go with all of this. Um, (laughs) They're, they're very, they are very, very careful. Um, Except for like a few, a a few people that they're close to that have to go out and go to work and everything. Um, But they're very careful And it's the perfect example of, okay, she came down with COVID. She's been extremely careful, but I'm, I I think that it's, it's worked out so well that she's been careful, not because like, obviously it didn't prevent her from getting sick, but she hasn't been around her parents or anything within like 12 feet of her parents. She goes to her parents and talks to them from a long, like from, from across the porch and everything. And, and like, that's, that's why you're supposed to be careful because she didn't expect it or anticipate it. She's been more careful than anybody else, but her parents who are both in her seventies are as, as far as I know, probably not going to get COVID or haven't gotten it from her. Um, so there you go kids there's the moral of the story do it for do it for the olds don't do it for yourself yeah exactly be selfless do you know do you know anybody that's had it yet like close to you uh i have yeah i mean there there have been a few people within you know the company that i'm at now that had it um and there were a couple of people that were back in in texas when i was living in austin that I had how it many 
Did they get sick or were they? Uh... Yeah, they got they got pretty sick. Oh, they really? Sick. Yeah. Really? Yeah, like, uh... I actually haven't met anyone personally in my circle that has had it, that has had sort of the um, asymptomatic, non you know brutal experience. I mean, they were they were pretty pretty ill for several weeks. Really? You know? That's the, that's a weird thing is um, Baselli. Like Baselli, it's it's strange that he got it so early on. Did you even know that that Tony Baselli had gotten it? No, I didn't. He know got that. it like back in March. It was crazy in Florida. Yeah, he and his son both got it. I want to say his wife got it. Tony was in the ICU. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was, and his son Just got really, keg, really sick. Keg stands in Panama Beach. Yeah, that's, yeah, that Tony catching it from spring breakers. Well, Tony's pretty, uh, pretty religious. I wonder if he caught it at like some, you know, this was before. This was honestly, he caught it before people were really even large scale. I, like I know not everybody's taking it seriously, but like where yeah. it wasn't even a, most people weren't yet taking it seriously. Like it right. was like right in that one or two week window where you're kind of looking around, and you're saying like, wait a wait a second, are you serious? Holy crap, right. really? Like you're watching things going on. So I don't know, I don't know exactly. I haven't followed up with him since since about five months ago or so. Um, but yeah, I, I guess just, he, he recovered. Yeah, I know I know a few people that have gotten that had the mild symptoms. Um, but I also like most of my family is in western new york where they kind of western new york kind of got the benefit of having all those really strict the the strict policies in place because of <clears throat> downstate new york but that was before the virus had gotten up there so for a long time like everything was very very slow up there and then i think it caught up to everybody i think they're there's they're, they're not having the best time of it right this moment but yeah well that's so. why if you have the opportunity to travel at all now over the past several months and you see the different states especially when you go like from east to west and through the midwest you know new york and pennsylvania when you go through those states they are so strict and cautious and careful about everything from top to bottom all the businesses everything else because they saw exactly what i think happened you know firsthand early on in the pandemic yeah and then wow. going to some other states i mean when i would go back to check on my place in texas it's basically a non-factor i noticed I, yeah i drove when i was driving cross country a couple times um yeah you notice a big difference from rural to urban like when you go from <laughs> if you're if you were in a city or suburban area, it's one thing. And then like the further the further out you get, when you get to the truck stops and everything. Now this was back in March, April, May. You know, I haven't I haven't driven cross country since around about then, whenever that was. Um, but I would imagine it's about the same, the compliance level. You're not. Have you been tested at all? Yeah, I've been tested three times. Did you get uh, Did you get the the deeply invasive one? Any of those times? I did. Yeah, all three. All three of them, they've gotten yeah. a lot better now. I've had the I've deeply invasive that. one, and I've had like a, another, the deeply invasive one, which I, I, how would you describe that? I felt like it was a prostate exam in my head. Yes. Where, like, because yeah. you know, when you get a prostate exam and you're like, oh, it's not painful, but I prefer not to have anything probing right there right now. Like, it's just like, oh, I know exactly where my prostate is. Now, yeah. like, I, now after having that nasal one, it didn't hurt. But I would just prefer not to have anything probing that spot of my skull. Yeah, I, I, I guess I haven't had as many prostate exams as you. But <laughs> I've I only had one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, I mean, it, it was pretty brutal. It, it reminded me of, um, you know, when I was 
they were, they were looking to uh, maybe do like a DD septum surgery like a long time ago, and they put a scope up there, and it was the same kind of involuntary. Now I'm crying, but I swear, <laughs> yeah. I'm like reaction, you know, that you have, and it, but it was, it's got, they've gotten it down to a science here now, where you go through a drive-through, they literally have cones set up in the hospital parking lot. It takes maybe five, 10 minutes. You yeah. just go right through, they do it. They have their gloves on, mask, everything else. And then you just, you, know, you take off and you get emailed the results in like less than 24 hours. All right, man. I got to get running. I've got to, um, I've got to make these COVID. Pr- I've got, I've got to get COVID tested again. Okay. Really, nice. It's going to be a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> but thank you for, thank you for uh, enjoying my delight in, in Greg Williams' demise. He's going to have another job next year. I'll be pissed off again. Yeah, of course he will. Yeah, he's going to get paid more to leave. All right, buddy. I'll see you next week. All right, man. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 